Every day I get emails from people, I mean, every single day about various books where people say their lives have been transformed through this book. And I go, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. I could never have done that. And I give him the glory for it. just heard the voice of Randy Elkhorn, our guest today here on First Person. Welcome, everyone. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Happy you've joined us for this conversation with a well-known author and speaker. First Person is here each week at this time, introducing you to people who have a story to tell, a story of God's faithfulness and leading in their lives. We're found online at firstpersoninterview.com, where you'll find more information about today's guest, as well as a calendar of upcoming programs and more. Go online to firstpersoninterview.com. Well, someone who's on my short list of favorite Christian authors is Randy Elkhorn, our guest today. Most recently, Randy wrote the courageous novel that goes hand-in-hand with the movie, but he's also the author of books like Heaven, Safely Home, Deadline, The Treasure Principle, in total over 40 books. You just can't help but praise God for Randy's ministry, which he calls Eternal Perspective Ministries. He joined me recently on the telephone, and we started talking about his early life. Well, I was raised in a non-Christian home. I really never heard the gospel until I was a freshman in high school. I was invited to a church youth group thing, which I came to just to see a girl that I had met on sort of a blind date. When I say a blind date, I mean it's like the the, the dad of a girl who was dating, so to speak, my uh, good friend in high school, uh, drove uh, the the four of us uh, to a theater, uh, and we saw The Odd Couple. So my <laughs> wife and I have joked a lot about that over the years because uh, we met each other at The Odd Couple, and then we uh, never dated anyone else since then, but I didn't know Christ at that time. And um, as... Uh, Nancy and I have talked about. She was a good Christian girl who was making an unwise choice. Uh, Not only was I not a believer, but I had all kinds of issues and anger problems. And I came from a home where my dad, a good guy by the world standards, but a tavern owner and alcoholic. And uh, all of this was unfamiliar to me. But in order for all the wrong motives, really, I I came to a youth group, but as I would come to that youth group at this church, at first just sort of putting up with the Christian stuff uh, as, a, as a means to uh, see this girl, I began to really listen. And in God's providence, we had in our home a Bible. And the reason we had that Bible was my mom had decided when I was in third grade, she's going to take me to church one uh, Sunday. She took me to a United Methodist Church. I went to a Sunday school class, and it was on the day they were giving away Bibles to third graders. And even though I had never been there before and wasn't there after that, they gave me a Bible. So we had that Bible in the home. And so when I was hearing about Christ in the youth group, I I thought, well, you know, I think we got a Bible on the shelf. So I found it, and I just started reading God's Word. And really... I came to faith in Christ through reading the Scripture, and I did the same thing people often do with the Old Testament, and, you know, really bogging down on Leviticus, though I was generally fascinated with most of it until then, but then kind of skipping forward, looking at this, looking at that, but then landing in the Gospels. 
And I found myself one day, I'll never forget this, uh, here, here I am, just a young teenager, and I'm reading the Gospels, and I realize that I was believing what I was reading. At first, it was just a story. It was like Greek mythology or fantasy and science fiction. I subscribed to fantasy and science fiction uh, magazine and read a lot of science fiction books. And and I, I realized that I was believing this. It had the ring of truth. I was thinking of Jesus as a real person who really lived. And I came to the conclusion that this was right, and I had an experience with the Lord, and, and by then I had heard that you're supposed to confess your sins and repent and give your life to Christ, so I got down on my knees and, and did that with an open Bible in front of me, and then I, you know, I've told people that I was mentored not only by the Holy Spirit as my teacher, but there was uh, an old Swiss couple in the church who had a... Uh, a garage that they had converted into a Christian bookstore, and he had all of these books spine out, no, no covers visible, um, but thousands of books that they had in there, and I discovered C.S. Lewis, A.W. Tozer, and oh. Francis Schaeffer, and that was back when early 70s where Schaeffer's books were coming out yeah. on a fairly regular basis, and I was really mentored by Lewis and Tozer and and Schaefer. You what know? a school to go to, huh? Uh, it was. It was absolutely fabulous. And in those days, I was reading, you know, all the things that were coming out then, uh, The Cross and the Switchblade. And, um, Let me guess, uh, Late Great Planet Earth. Uh, yes, that was in the mix, although that did not have the great impact on me uh, that the others had. But uh, but certainly uh, those uh, books by Tozer and Lewis and Schaefer, but also uh, the uh, Corrie Ten Boom's Hiding Place, uh, Brother Andrews, God Smuggler. Mm-hmm. God used books to just really mentor me, disciple me, and... Um, Turn my life around. Well, it had to be God's plan for your life then that you became a writer, Randy. Yeah, I have often thought of of how God, in His grace, exposed me so young to reading. And even though I grew up in a non-Christian home, I read, I was a comic book fanatic, I read the fantasy and science fiction, I would check out books from the library, and that thirst for reading served me so well, because when I came to Christ, the natural thing for me was to read, Mm -hmm. to find out more about Christ. And I I have thanked God so many times for that love of reading that he had put in me, because now I was reading the right things and the things that really fed my soul. And so it wasn't just show up at youth group, uh, show up at church. It was uh, a daily for hours and hours I would read, and, and God really used those books in my life. And what I discovered, Wayne, was that the people around me who had grown up in Christian homes, uh, many of them did not have the, the thirst for the things of God that I had, and, and so much of the reason was it was so new, so fresh, so real to me, and I, I had vivid memories of the loneliness and the isolation and the despair, actually, that even when I was in junior high and certainly as a young high schooler, that I, that I felt the emptiness and trying to already fill it 
that emptiness uh, within me with the, the wrong stuff, the stuff that couldn't satisfy. And then Jesus grabbing hold of my life. And I remember some pretty painful conversations with other kids in the youth group where basically I was saying, don't you realize who Jesus is? I mean, wow. And then I'd hear them kind of make derogatory comments about their parents and growing up in a church home and all. And I was saying, hey, I mean, my parents don't know the Lord, and you just should be grateful you were raised. Isn't that interesting that uh, you didn't have the background they had, and yet you had the hunger? I find that fascinating. Of course, you know, God gives each of us a story. That's your story. You mentioned in passing your anger. How was that dealt with by God I mean, early on? Well, it was interesting because I remember uh, one time we went to an ice cream parlor, uh, the youth group did, and Nancy said something to me that I didn't like as we walked out the door. I hadn't come to Christ yet. And I slammed my fist against the side of a building, just about terrified her. But that was, you know, the home, my dad could be very angry. My brother and I used to have knockdown, drag-out fights. and But it was kind of a brawling, again, my dad was a tavern owner, very independent. He, he'd pull a gun on people if they'd come into the tavern and didn't behave the way he liked. And I mean, it was just a pretty, almost a Wild West type of feel. And we, we kind of inherited that. And so as a young Christian, uh, I, I did uh, immediately sense a difference. I did uh, sense a work of that I would come to understand was a work of God's Holy Spirit, but certainly I had to deal with this issue, kind of the instinctive habit of getting angry when I didn't get my way. But I did feel, uh, I did find very early God dealing with me in that area, and I remember thinking how much I had changed, because something, uh, little things would happen that used to just trigger anger, and then I would look at them and i say, why, why would I have ever gotten angry about that? Hmm. It really was no big deal. I found the same thing related to my father. Um, I actually, it's not an overstatement to say that I hated my dad. Um, as a, again, as a, a young teenager, uh, my first and second year of high school before I actually uh, came to faith in Christ, I I hated him. He, he, I was involved in sports. He never came to any of my games. I never took me hunting or fishing like my friend's dad did. You know, I never had the experience of playing catch with my dad. I mean, literally never in my memory was there a time where my dad threw a ball to me or I threw one to him. But when I came to Christ, it was like God turned a light on inside my head to say, just like you didn't know Jesus, your dad doesn't know Jesus. And so to me, it, it suddenly became, well, why would I expect him to, to do all the things a great dad does? He, he just hasn't had the benefit of being exposed to the gospel or responding to the gospel. And God took away those strong negative feelings and, and replaced them with feelings of love. And, and the reason you know that I, I kind of emphasize that is that I think there's, there's kind of a pendulum swing that happens sometimes where people people really make a point of saying, well, of course, just because you come to Christ doesn't mean your life is really much different. I mean, you, you still got all the same issues, you got all the same problems, you got all the same struggles. Well, there's a certain amount of things that are true. I mean, do, do I 
did I still have to struggle with lust and resist sexual temptation? Yes, I did. But uh, there are other things that uh, when Second Corinthians 5.17 says that, you know, any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away. All things have become new. Regeneration, being born again, being forgiven of your sins and having the Holy Spirit of God within you. This is not a small thing. This is something that empowers us to deal with sin and have victory and no, not perfect, but growing uh, into the image of Christ. And, and I experienced that as a young believer. We'll continue talking with Randy Alcorn about his life coming up on today's edition of First Person. You stay with us. Next week, the dramatic story of a young Albanian woman whose husband was killed in what is known as a blood feud. Ilona Proy will tell her story. Her husband, Tawny, was a pastor who, through no fault of his own, was targeted for death when a relative of his took the life of another man. That man's family sought revenge, which resulted in Tawny's murder on the street, leaving Ilona with small children as a widow. You'll hear the full story next time on First Person. We know you, of course, because of your books and your writing. Uh, I've mentioned some of those here today. But you were a pastor, and as a pastor, you took a very uh, strong pro-life stance, which cost you. Uh, Can you tell me about that episode in your life? I, as a pastor, uh, had uh, joined the the board by request of a uh, crisis pregnancy center, the first one in the Pacific Northwest started in in Portland back in the uh, early 80s. And uh, so I I had developed a heart for unborn children and a heart for women exploited by abortion. We opened our home uh, to a teenage girl who had been kicked out of her home, and she was uh, living with a guy, a migrant worker, and she was pregnant, and she had had, turned out that she had had an abortion before. Well, we helped her place the child for adoption in a Christian home. And while she lived with us, it was very hard, very challenging. Um, but we had the joy of seeing her come to faith in Christ. And then as the years went on, and I continued to cultivate a sense of uh, the importance of the pro-life issue and Francis Schaeffer, of course, with whatever happened to the human race and other things um, that he wrote on and things that he did with Everett Koop and Surgeon General and all of that, really brought the abortion issue to the fore in my mind. So in the late 1980s, in 1989, when a, a number of believers, including a number of pastors across the country, got involved in peaceful, nonviolent civil disobedience, um, we called it rescuing, at abortion clinics, I I went to my fellow pastors and elders and said, you know, I really feel a compulsion from the Lord to get involved in this. It's not that I want to do it. I I don't want the consequences of it. It's going to be difficult, but I really feel like we've got to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. This is another way to do it. I don't think everybody should do it, but I feel called to do it, and do I have your permission, you know, to do it? They somewhat reluctantly gave me their permission. They said, we don't want to get in the way of, you know, God's leading your life. So I did that. It brought all kinds of difficulty our direction. 
uh, not simply because it was civil disobedience and there are consequences and you get arrested and you go to jail, but um, ending up on the front page of the Oregonian, by far the most popular newspaper in our state, um, um, and all of this controversy. You know, why would a pastor do something like this? And many Christians wondered the same thing, and a number of people in my church wondered the same thing. Uh, but what happened through that was uh, several lawsuits, and the result of one of those lawsuits was that uh, they were coming to garnish my wages from the church, so I had to resign in order to keep money from going to an abortion clinic. Oh. And so suddenly here I was, if you would have asked me a week earlier, what are you going to be doing in 20, 30 years, I would have said, well, I'll, I think I'll still be a pastor at Good Shepherd Community Church. Uh, here outside of Gresham, Oregon, and suddenly that was gone. Um, uh, I was on my own trying to figure out what am I going to do next, and God led us to, I'd written several books by then, but um, led us to start a ministry, Eternal Perspective Ministries, and and we decided from the beginning to take all the royalties uh, from my books and uh, give them to Christian ministries all over the world, to missions, famine relief, prison ministry, disability ministry, uh, pro-life ministry, all of those things. So that was the beginning of, uh, of that ministry, and God really abruptly jerked us out of something I loved being and doing, pastoral ministry, uh, and though the abortion clinic intended it for evil, like Joseph's yeah, brothers right. related to him, God intended it for good, and hmm. he demonstrated that that to us very clearly in the years that followed. It's a remarkable story, and it's a remarkable story of God's faithfulness and provision in doing what is right. It, uh, I really appreciate you telling that today, Randy. I mentioned to some listeners that we'd be talking, and of course, I asked them for favorite books of Randy Elkhorn, and probably the number one response had to be Heaven. I mean, you've got you've got so many good books. A Courageous came out not too long ago, and uh, safely Home, what, 10 years ago now? Right. And the, Safely Home was just a, a book that just impacted me greatly. And the, the Heaven book that you've written, i, I got to ask you about that one because I know a lot of people like that. How did that ever come about? I mean, how did you ever set about to write the definitive book of what we can know about Heaven from Scripture? You know, Wayne, a lot of it went back to uh, my mother's death in 1981. Uh, my mom was doing great, it seemed, physically. Our second daughter had just been born. Our first daughter was two and a half years old, and my mom would take her every Monday, and it was the, it was like the highlight of my daughter's uh, week was to be with Grandma Alcorn, and she would read Bible storybooks to her, and again, my mom had come to faith in Christ and was teaching Sunday school by then. She was part of the, the church that we had started in 1977, but then suddenly she uh, was having problems, diagnosed with cancer, and within two months um, she died. But in those final two months, uh, I daily uh, read to her from the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. And so here is the new heavens and the new earth, and uh, it's talking about how solid and substantial everything is in terms of all of these precious jewels and stones, and the gates are made out of this, and the walls are made out of that, and then you got the river flowing through the center of the city, you got the streets, you got all of these physical, tangible things. There's the tree of life, bearing a new fruit every month. And as I was reading this to my mother, I was, I was realizing how 
tangible this all was. It was not vague, floaty, ethereal, ghostly. It was substantial. And then I realized, you know, well, that just fits with the nature of the resurrection, because God promises a resurrection. So I knew that when my mom died, she was going to go to be with the Lord, but she wasn't going to be in a resurrection body yet, but that that was going to be a temporary condition. And everybody who dies and goes to be with the Lord, sometimes we just think of heaven as the place we go to when we die. Well, yeah, if you know Jesus, and it'll be wonderful. You know, Paul says to depart and be with Christ is better by far. But uh, that is a temporary location. It's, it's, it's like a layover, you know, <laughs> because your destination is the new heavens and new earth after the resurrection. And so, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, and this was all dawning on me uh, at the time that I was, my, my mom was dying, and subsequently as I thought about where she was, that the ultimate place where we're going to be together is in the resurrected uh, body living on a resurrected earth. And I started writing the Heaven Book really in some ways um, when I started writing my novels, because uh, I, I wanted to portray some things about heaven and dead and Deadline and Dominion and some of my other early novels and certainly Safely Home. And But the more that I started thinking about the present heaven, the more my heart moved toward the ultimate heaven where God will come down and dwell on the earth, king of kings, and will reign over the new earth. No more death, no more pain, no more crying. And as resurrected beings, we'll experience the presence of resurrected friends and family and the resurrected Lord. And I got so excited about that, but I heard almost nothing being said about it. It just seemed so vague and ethereal in people's minds and didn't sound very exciting. And and then I got excited about heaven and then really wrote the big heaven book uh, that came out in, in 2004. What's it like to feel used of God in writing the books that you do, Randy? Well, Wayne, I would say it. I have no illusions that I could have done it myself, and it it's that his hand is over it, and that's what makes the difference. So I, I really, when I think about it, I it's just a very humbling experience that God would use these books. And every day I get emails from people, I mean, every single day, about various books where uh, people say their lives have been transformed through this book. And I go, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. I could never have done that. And I give him the glory for it. Randy writes both fiction and nonfiction with many titles to his credit. My favorite through the years, besides the book on heaven, which we mentioned today, is his book Safely Home about persecution in China. But you'll find many other books to be your favorites from today's guest. Randy Elkhorn's writing and speaking is through Eternal Perspective Ministries, and you'll find a link to EPM at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Just click on the links provided to learn more about our guest and his ministry. Again, start at firstpersoninterview.com. Well, I hope you always find our guests to be interesting and helpful as you live out your own story through God's purpose for your life. If you'd like to go back and listen to any previous program, you'll find them all archived at firstpersoninterview.com. Just click on the listen button. Next week, the dramatic story of a young pastor in Albania who was murdered in a blood feud, leaving behind a wife and young children. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard, inviting you back next week, right here for First Person.